0: There is tremendous temptation in trials. But James also sees our temptations here in our text tonight a little more broadly, admittedly, as he writes to these Jewish believers in the diaspora and as Scripture, this is for us as well tonight. James is addressing every temptation we face in this life. And so tonight, we'll see how true faith responds to temptation. If you're not the type of person to find your furniture on the streets of Westwood, I'm sure you've probably built IKEA furniture recently. Perhaps a billy the shelf, or a Svarta, the bunk bed that y'all sleep on, or the kalax, which is a cube storage unit. Uh, Some of the most ubiquitous to college apartment and reasonably reasonably priced pieces uh, that you can find, at least in the same store as delicious Swedish meatballs. Uh, Building IKEA furniture is one of the most frustrating, I mean sanctifying, uh, experiences available to mankind. Uh, Imagine you're unpacking your newest piece, uh, Billy, the bookshelf that we all have in our living room. And you open the box, you unpack it, and you have 13 various sized pieces of cheek and cheap particle board. Uh, 17 screws, who knows why, there's an odd number, and 14 dowels, and then it hits you. There's no instruction booklet in this billy. But that's not going to stop you now. You see, you have your piece of furniture, and all of your books are on the ground. And so you lay the pieces out, and uh, you fumble your way through, piece by piece, painstakingly so, uh, and eventually, after an hour longer than you ever thought was necessary, uh, and your uh, fingers are aching, uh, you finish it. And there stands Billy. And in your final act of victory over this piece of furniture, uh, you start cutting up the box with your pair of scissors. And lo and behold, between the flaps of the box, out falls the instruction booklet. Our fight against temptation and our struggle against sin in this life is like building Billy without an instruction booklet. It's frustrating. It makes your, your body parts ache and hurt. And you long for the time beyond this temptation. We fight and we flounder and we falter so hard against our sin in this very frustrating fight against temptation, all without what seems like any kind of direction or instruction on how this all works sometimes. Our passage tonight is that detailed instruction booklet for that very Ikea furniture-like frustrating fight against sin and temptation in our lives. This passage shows us the very nature of temptation itself. You see, it's not an instruction on how to fight a specific kind of sin or a specific kind of temptation that you may be facing. This is a manual against the entire mechanism that is temptation. It's a whole parts catalog, if you please. It's a look at the inner workings of what's going on in temptation and how temptation can lead uh, to sin. It'll help us understand then how to respond to temptation and how to better fight against sin and where to pick our battles against this great enemy called temptation and its best friend, sin. In these verses, let's then examine the nature of temptation so that when faced with temptation, we'll be able to fight it more effectively. We'll see tonight that true faith rightly assesses temptation and resists by God's power. True faith rightly assesses temptation and resists by God's power. First, as we look at the nature of temptation, we see in verses 13 and 14, the source of temptation. The source of temptation. In order to wage war against temptation, we must first understand its source. We must understand where it comes from. You see, in order to address the leak, you must understand what the source of that leak is. In order to battle against the ants that are invading all of our places right now, you need to know where they're coming from. You, you have seen, if you, if you don't live under a rock, uh, a thing called the Candy Challenge candy challenge. Parents putting their kids to the test, usually toddlers. Here's a little fun-sized package of your favorite gummy candies, and I'm going to leave the room. Don't eat any until I come back. And my phone's propped up again on the counter over there, but don't worry about that. Uh, the parent leaves, and the poor child struggles. Inevitably, right? Making all kinds of faces, uh, contorting his body, trying to stay away from the candy, uh, and even talking to himself or his sibling and talking about the candy and trying so hard to resist the temptation. Well, of course, inevitably, at least the ones that you see posted, the child gives in. And it is the cutest thing ever. I think many of you have a candy challenge kind of way of thinking about temptation. Not that it's cute in any way, but that God, like some TikTok-obsessed parent who chooses to provoke His children, that in some way He is responsible for tempting you or that he is in his sovereignty purposefully leaving you where you would be tempted in struggling in your sin and leaving you helplessly in the next room we are susceptible in our thinking when we face temptation believe it or not to think that in some way god is behind it whether we blame god and put him at fault directly or we justify it in our on our minds the the possibility that in his sovereignty or in his testing of us uh, that he is behind the temptation that we use words like he, he's ordaining that or by somehow uh, the way he has created us or wired us individually or somehow by where he has brought you in life. That in some way God is responsible for your temptation. That's how we think. And we blame shift like Adam when God questioned him in the garden. And Adam says, that woman you gave me, God. And we say, uh, maybe not directly to God, but this situation you put me in, or these feelings that you gave me that I can't get over, or this thing, this career path that I take so much pride in, but that you gave me, you ordained for me, you've gifted me for. And I believe that's why James begins with verse 13 here on temptation, uh, disambiguation, so to speak, uh, clarification. Look again at verse 13. Let no one say when he is tempted, I am being tempted by God for God cannot be tempted with evil and he himself tempts no one. Grace on campus, when we face temptation, it is not God who is tempting us. It is not God who is tempting us. In the ancient world, deities were often depicted as the source of temptation. God after God in the pantheon was temperamental and vindictive, susceptible to evil themselves, and then also the architects of human temptation. But James here says, God, the one true God, God, he is not like that. God does not tempt us. Let no one say that God is tempting him. And James posits here first that we should not think we are tempted by God because God in his very nature cannot be tempted himself. Uh, The word translated tempted here has the connotation of Uh, to experience. God, in other words, cannot experience evil. God has no capacity for or vulnerability to evil. God himself cannot be tempted. Now, we might immediately think Satan tempted Jesus. If you look at Matthew 4 or Luke 4, it was briefly mentioned in Mark as we went through that with Austin. uh, Satan tempts Jesus in the wilderness with a series of three temptations. uh, To turn stones into bread. uh, To fall from the pinnacle of the temple to demonstrate his power over angels. uh, And then to bow down to Satan and that he would give him power over all the kingdoms of the earth. Uh, All temptations for Jesus to take the bait and demonstrate his power pridefully so that everyone would know who's boss. And so we see Jesus, God of very God, in a very real way, was tempted by Satan. And we see similar attempts by Satan to tempt God in the book of Job. Or in Revelation 12, we see Satan challenging God in a similar way to uh, prod his faithful people and get God to act in a power trip sort of way, to provoke him, to tempt him to act on behalf of his faithful people. And for therefore God to manifest his power in some way on Satan's turn. So back to James. What exactly then do we mean when we see here in James that God cannot be tempted? What exactly are we looking at here? This here in James means that Jesus and God himself cannot be tempted in a way that puts him with evil. God has no part in considering any sort of evil, uh, such that we would say temptation can have any kind of fruition uh, with God. As Pastor John very clearly says, God cannot be tempted successfully. And so God cannot be tempted uh, with evil, James says. He is holy, he is sinless, and he cannot by nature sin. We see this truth of God's holiness throughout all the Bible. Psalm 5, verse 4, for you are not a God who delights in wickedness. Evil may not dwell with you, the psalmist says. In Matthew 5, Jesus says, you therefore must be perfect to his audience. He says that uh, as your heavenly father also is perfect. The author of Hebrews says it is impossible for God to lie. And Numbers 23 says a similar thing. God is not man that he should lie. And Isaiah 6, holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. In all of these views of God's holy perfection, there is a distinction in nature, a separation of who God is from who we are, who man is. What God is in his very nature as the creator and what he can and cannot do by that nature from what man is in his nature as a creature, as a created being and therefore what he can and cannot do in his nature. God is holy, separate, set apart, uh, otherly in his nature. He is incapable of sin, incapable of evil, and he cannot be tempted by evil, James is saying here. And so James is simply pointing out what the entirety of the Scriptures upholds, that God is holy, he is sinless, and he cannot be tempted with evil. He cannot experience sin. He cannot be successfully tempted with evil. James says, because he cannot be tempted with evil, he himself tempts no one. That's why James is saying, let no one say when he is tempted, I am being tempted by God. Because God has no part with evil. And so whatever temptation, evil you are experiencing in your life, it has nothing to do uh, with God. Uh, The very God against whom sin is an affront, uh, he does not toy with sin. He, He cannot be tempted by it. And he does not use sin to play games with his image bearers. He is neither enticed by evil, nor is he a source of evil. You see, a Bruin does not put on a USC hat. And a Bruin doesn't also try to convince someone else to put on a USC hat. You see, God is completely and entirely separate from evil and sin. And here in this passage, temptation to sin. It's important to get that straight. As I was studying for the book of James, I uh, didn't believe when commentators said that James was light on theology, light on doctrine. Because we see here in this first verse in our text tonight that we need to know God with accuracy. And we need to know God and then therefore worship Him for who He is. God is a holy God. And so when it comes to the temptations that we face, we are not to, uh, even in any indirect way, blame God. We are not to see Him as our tempter. Uh, because He in no way, by His very nature, could be responsible for our temptation to sin. In fact, Scripture helps us to understand it is quite the Opposite, Turn to 1 Corinthians chapter 10. 1 Corinthians 10, and we'll see a familiar verse that will help us to understand God's actual role in our temptation. 1 Corinthians 10. Look at verse 12. Therefore, let anyone who thinks that he stands take heed lest he fall. No temptation has overtaken you that is not common to man. God is faithful, and he will not let you be tempted beyond your ability. But with the temptation, he will also provide the way of escape that you may be able to endure it. God indeed tests us. We've seen that in the last few weeks in James. And He allows the trials of life to test us and prove our faith uh, true. But in His perfect holiness, His testing of us ends in the rest of this promise. He Himself cannot and does not tempt us But instead, He provides us a way of escape, a way to endure it. And also the power of the Spirit to aid us in our fight. Turn back to James and look at verse 14, chapter 1, verse 14. But each person is tempted when he is lured and enticed by His own desire. Here we see the real source of temptation. It's not God. The actual culprit in our times of temptation in this life is us. It's our own desires. It's our own hearts. James says each of us in our different propensities, in our own temperaments, in our attractions, in our weaknesses, each one of us is lured and enticed, maybe in our own individual ways, but each of us by our own desires. No one's at fault for our temptations, Except us. That is the source of temptation, the source of temptation, not a holy God, uh, but us in our own desires. And so that's the source of temptation. Number two, uh, we see as we study the nature of temptation, the path of temptation, the path of of temptation. Uh, Verses 14 and 15 help us to further understand how temptation works and where it leads. Uh, This is a slow motion, a frame-by-frame review of uh, the opponent's sin's game-winning shot. It's... Joel Embiid watching Kawhi Leonard's game-winning shot over and over again in slow motion. Where did it go wrong? What happened that I could have done differently? And so painful as it is to look at verses 14 and 15, that we need to watch this slow motion frame by frame take on temptation so we can learn how to win next time. I pray that these verses will help us to understand temptation more carefully so we'll know how to avoid it and how to battle against it even this week as you face temptation. You see, if you are to battle temptation successfully, you must understand with crystal clarity how it works, uh, where it runs its course, where its pathway is. And so in these next few verses, we need to consider temptation, or for some of you, uh, reconsider Temptation, not just how to fight a specific, particular temptation that you might face, uh, what places to avoid or what programs to install to help you or how many accountability partners to have, uh, but the way that temptation itself works, the, uh, the inner workings. And in that way, then we can begin the conversation of how we must understand temptation and preempt it and avoid it and resist it and battle it in our lives. So look again at verse 14. But each person is tempted when he is lured and enticed by his own desire. You see, not only is the true source of temptation our own desires. Look at what James says. Each person is tempted when he is lured and enticed. Uh, these two words describe the the pulling or the alluring uh, of our epithumia, our strong desires, uh, the passions within. Uh, this is the attractive and persuasive uh, nature of our emotions, our feelings. Uh, Our passions in life. Uh, These two words are fishing words. uh, Terms that both James and his readers uh, would have been very familiar with. Uh, This is the picture of a fish being drawn in by freshly cut, uh, smelly bait. And being lured in our day, hooked. In their day, netted and then being caught and dragged. This word Lord has a a pulling or a tugging connotation to to it. Uh, A sense of being drawn in by force. Grace on campus, we are attracted to, we are Drawn in by our desires for uh, the things of this world. And it's alluring. Uh, the enticing elements of uh, sin and all this world has to offer. Uh, we are tempted to elevate and value and pursue uh, all that is in this world, all that this world has to offer. Uh, possessions and, and pleasures we're tempted to value those things above God and the things of God. And all by our own passions. There's no one else to blame. All by our own desires and our own ambitions, our own even commitments. The truth here is that when temptation occurs, there is, admittedly, usually something desirable or alluring or enticing about what's right in front of you or about what's on your mind in that moment or about what you see or what you want. And when you fall into sin, even if you don't want to blame God directly, you might want to blame it or him or her uh, but the very temptation itself James says is rooted in your own heart your own evil ungodly desires what ephesians 2 and 1st Thessalonians 4 call the passions of the flesh those are what pull you in. Christian, it is at that moment in your temptation that you have a choice. You see, you have not sinned yet, but you feel that pull uh, your heart Get a little emotional about it. You know you want it. It's that moment in Genesis 4, God tells Cain this. Sin is crouching at the door. Every day in those moments. You might be by yourself or you might be in a crowd of people. When you have not yet sinned but you feel the pull, the grip of temptation. Your passions are getting the best of you. You face that temptation to distrust God. You face that temptation to Lust. You are tempted to indulge just one more time. You face the temptation to sulk and self-pity and turn that song on that makes you feel better about your misery. When you're tempted to speak ill of someone out of jealousy, every Day in that moment, Christian, you have the opportunity to make a choice, to resist, uh, to fight, uh, to battle against this temptation, or to give in, or to give in. And too many times we choose to give in. Look at verse 15 and you see the path of temptation when we give in, in those moments. Then desire, when it has conceived, gives birth to sin. James changes the metaphor here. Temptation gives birth to sin. It brings forth sin, some translations say. Because of your decision to give in to your desires, because of your desire to do or say or think what felt good to you, Uh, when your desires or your passions are left unchecked, what was just a thought or a glance or a fleeting idea becomes the fixation. It becomes the fascination that manifests itself in sin. Whether by thought or word or deed, we've given in, we've failed. And so if you use the analogy, sin is the offspring or the child of our unbridled or uncontrolled Desires. Sin is the result of our desires when we give our desires a blank check to do whatever it wants to do. Our desires are uh, the teenager who will throw a party for sin when self-control isn't home. Our desires, the very source of our temptation, when unbridled and unchecked in the human heart, will invariably result in sin. This is the very sobering reality of our flesh in this fallen world, even as those who are redeemed. Our hearts are bent on sinning, and this world is full of temptation. And that sin... Look back at verse 15. When it is fully grown, brings forth death. The full and the final consequence to this uh, picture of uh, temptation, giving forth sin, brings finally death spiritual death, separation uh, from a holy God. Romans 6.23, for the wages of sin is death. And so this is the path of temptation. Uh, From our desires, our own desires, uh, it gives birth to sin, which when fully grown brings its end. Death. This is the path of temptation. And so the source of temptation we must understand is our own desires. This is then the path of temptation. And finally, we see the answer to temptation. The answer to temptation. This is our response to temptation. Uh, now that we have seen its source and its path, uh, how should we uh, respond in, in truly James-like form? James's exhortation is simple. Verse 16, look there. Do not be deceived, my beloved brothers. Do not be deceived, my beloved brothers. Do not... Be deceived, my beloved brothers. James, the pastor of the church in Jerusalem, says to his uh, beloved brothers, simply, do not be deceived by sin and by temptation. Verse 16, I believe, belongs in this paragraph that we've been looking at. Um, paragraph breaks themselves are uh, not inspired, and I believe thematically this belongs with what we've been talking about. Uh, this is a simple, straightforward call to right thinking, uh, to right assessment of sin and temptation. And therefore, appropriate action against it. In light of the scattering report we've seen tonight, we need to draw up a game plan and then execute it. The author of Hebrews shares a, a similar sentiment in chapter 3 of Hebrews. But exhort one another every day, as long as it is called today, that none of you may be hardened by the deceitfulness of sin. Uh, You see, sin is uh, deceitful. It lies, it tricks us, it lures us, it entices us. uh, So as not to be uprooted in our lives. And that's why James says very simply, do not be deceived. Now, James doesn't give us an entire plan of attack like maybe Paul would uh, against temptation, but I believe it's the simplicity of this command that makes it so powerful. Christian, you've seen the source and the path of temptation. Think rightly about it. Do not do not be deceived by its deceitfulness. It will trick you. Think about it well. When you are tempted to sin, think of James 1, 13 to 15, and fight. Do not be deceived. Do not be taken by it. Do not underestimate its power. Do not think that you can leave it be, or ignore it, or procrastinate about it. Do not be deceived, but think rightly about uh, temptation. This is a a very simple wake-up call. And it's enough to start our day in the fight against our sin. Now, I want to end our time with uh, some very practical instruction on uh, what it might look like to not be deceived. My heart this week has been burdened for you because I've been a college student in here, at UCLA, and I know what this campus has to offer, even if you don't go looking for it. And you all face a temptation that is unique to how God has brought you here. Uh, You all face temptation uh, that is unique uh, to your own uh, struggles. Uh, You all face temptation that is unique to uh, your schedule and where you walk and where you spend your time and how much time you spend alone and who you spend your time with. And the sphere that is UCLA has so much for our passions, our desires to latch onto in temptation. And so I've been praying for you this week in your fight against sin, the sin that can so easily entangle you. And so I thought of three ways to not be deceived Three ways to not be deceived. Three ways to think or respond rightly about temptation. You see, if we understand the nature of temptation, how are we to respond? How do we, in the face of temptation, with true faith, in true faith, how do we act? Well, number one, and this is straight from the text, acknowledge your Role in your sin. Acknowledge your role in your sin. Your fight against sin and temptation begins with honest self assessment, humble self assessment. We are so easily given to feeling sorry for ourselves in our sin. When we are tempted, we often have a sense of defensiveness or entitlement. That if God has put us where we are in life, that if he has wired us to be the way we are, that if other people are involved, then it can't be our fault. It can't be at least just our fault alone. It sort of just happened or it's a nature of the situation we're in. And maybe for some of you, because your emotions are so out of control, or your faculties are so out of control in your mind, because of how crazy the situation is, or how unexpected temptation can be, or because of how how strongly you feel about something, about uh, maybe what's best for you in a situation, that we have some right or some excuse when we give in to our temptations. And so we tend to shift the blame, maybe not directly on God, but it's just not our fault. It's just not. It couldn't be. But this, this passage and Scripture as a whole would have us think rightly. We've seen this. Our sin is always our responsibility. This tendency to blame shift, to uh, be defensive, is our being deceived into thinking that it couldn't really be our responsibility when it 100% is. And it's sometimes our pride. It's our bent toward exalting our desires, our emotions, our feelings over what God has called us to in his word. We would rather listen to our own desires or emotions rather than obey God in being called to a life of self-control or a life of sober-mindedness or a life of purity or a life of modesty or a life of stewardship or a life of peace with others, or a life of love toward others. We exalt how we feel and what we think about our own situation in our flesh rather than obedience to God. And then when we fail, we shift that blame away from us. If not directly to God, at least not on us. We too often would rather assuage our desires than glorify God with our lives. But brothers and sisters, we must see here in James 1 how sin works, is that each of us is carried away by our own desires. Each of us is culpable. Do not be deceived. Acknowledge your role and the role of your own desires in your temptation. Number two, fight the battle of the mind and the affections. Fight the battle of the mind and the affections. 1 Peter 4 verse 2 says this, Live for the rest of the time in the flesh, no longer for human passions, but for the will of God as we have seen the mechanism of temptation, the inner workings of how this all works, we need to also develop our own mechanism for fighting temptation. We too easily and too readily allow our passions to drive us without any sort of will or ability or mechanism to fight that temptation. And it's usually because one, our minds are undisciplined or two, our affections are not directed where they should be. Our minds are undisciplined and our affections are not directed where they should be. And so the battle here is twofold, both for the mind and for the heart's affections. First, it's a battle for the mind. It's a battle for discipline, for self-control. It's an endeavor to submit one's mind and therefore will to creator God. Colossians 3.2 says it this way, Set your mind on things that are above. Our mind is where we must begin the battle against temptation. It is with our minds that we will be able to decide against our desires. It is with our mind that in those moments of being pulled or drawn towards sin, that we must decide, we must fight the battle for the mind. Secondly, this battle against temptation is also a battle for uh, the desires, for the affections. Uh, Galatians 5, verse 16 says this, Walk by the Spirit and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. Uh, We are to love what God loves and hate what God hates. As young people, you need to reorient your affections uh, on... uh, God-glorifying things, values, priorities. As Christians, we must cast off desire for the things of this world and cultivate desire for the things of the Lord. Our affections must be directed toward God and His good gifts. So that when temptation comes, our desires are pulled Godward, instead of towards sin. Do not be deceived. You must be prepared for the battle against temptation. Do not be deceived. You must prepare your mind and set your affections on things that are above. And finally, and very briefly, number three, a way to not be deceived is to look To Jesus. Look to Jesus. This is the answer to temptation. This is the answer presented by the author of Hebrews. Consider Jesus. The only the one who can save you from your sin, the only one who after all your failures and your fight against temptation in this life is the one who faced the same temptation as us and did so perfectly without sin in full obedience to the Father and then died on the cross to take the punishment for that sin. Hebrews 4.15 says this of Jesus, for we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who in every respect has been tempted as we are, yet without sin. And it's this high priest who entered the holy place and offered a perfect sacrifice for sin. Himself. Himself. And he provided the ultimate answer to temptation. That instead of the death that sin brings forth, we have in this great high priest the offer of life in him. And so if you don't know this Jesus, consider Jesus and find Life instead of death. And if you do know this, Jesus, if you are a Christian, let us, in true faith, when faced with temptation to sin, let us look to Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith. Let's pray. Father, we thank You for Your provision of Your Son, Jesus, who is the author and the perfecter of our faith. And it is in imperfect faith, Lord, uh, that we come to You. Uh, We face so many temptations in this life, a wide variety of, and a depth of temptation that, Lord, we think in our flesh that no one understands. But You do. And so, Lord, even this week, I pray for the brothers and sisters in this ministry that as they fight against temptation to sin, That, Lord, you would equip them with a mind set on things above. That they would not be deceived by the deceitfulness of sin. But instead, Lord, would walk by the Spirit and put off the desires of the flesh. So, Lord, now as we even respond uh, in song and sing of the great solution, the answer to the temptation and the sin that we face. Uh, that we uh, rely solely and only on Jesus as the answer ultimately uh, to the temptation and sin that we face in uh, this life. And so it's to Jesus that we look and it's Jesus that we worship. In his name we pray, amen.